0: You're listening to The Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we were right or wrong. This is The Unsung Podcast. 18 of the Unsung podcast. We have two items of housekeeping to take care of this week because last week we actually had two episodes which had polls. So the first one was the new metal mixtape. Now, as you could probably tell, we really enjoyed recording that episode and we might do something similar to that again sometime soon. So keep an eye out for that. But I'm sure you're all dying to know which of the three albums we picked. Would make it into our discography now I will just go over those three albums again In case you've forgotten or you didn't listen Weaver, Mr Weaver, he picked Issues by Korn Chris picked Slipknot by Slipknot And I picked Toxicity by System of a Down And the results are in The public had decided that Toxicity by System of a Down Is out of those three albums The new metal record which should go into our discography So in an unlikely turn of events System of a Down, welcome We are... Kind of happy to have you, I guess. Now, on to our last episode, which was episode 17, where we talked about McCluskey do Dallas, and the public also voted that this would go into our discography, so this week we put two records into our discography, and and that's that's a good time. If you ask us, that's a pretty good time. So yeah, thank you to everyone that voted, who listened, and who takes part in this weird, wonderful strange podcast we haven't done a Scottish record for a wee while so we felt it's time to rectify that this week we're doing 14 Autumns and 15 Winters by The Twilight Sad enjoy
1: Hi guys Hi I'm your host Mark Fraser and I'm joined by two guys maybe like Twilight Sad more than me <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that
2: uh, Across from me is Chris Kusack, who uh, what oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you want to do that again or I just want to keep it in?
2: Yeah no that's it
3: <laughs> Across from me is Chris Kusack. laugh speechless <laughs> literally speechless uh, uh, no um, you're not the first don't worry <laughs>
2: I know, he's sitting there in his hot pants and his crocs. Don't
3: project. (laughs) Uh, Across from me is David Weaver, who's a little bit off today because we're about to talk about a band that's got a more ostentatiously Scottish accent than he. What? (laughs) I just said what, I mean that. (laughs) Don't.
2: You have the most Scottish accent here, Chris. I I have the most Scottish accent here. That, That sterling lilt to your accent is... You're from the Highlands. Yeah, but it's not... Scottish it's, it's <laughs> What is it then? <laughs> Norwegian? <laughs> well, Did you know That
1: Close
2: uh, to 20 miles away From where I was born uh, Four troves On the Black Isle That's been Scientifically Or I don't know Sociologically Proven to be The cleanest English In the world
3: I was about to say The cleanest English In the world The most phonetically Accurate is Yeah It's the, the area Around Inverness Yeah
2: And the, the second Black Is the
3: area Around Stirling Interesting Yeah there you go So I'm just behind you In that league I uh-huh um mm. but i mean english will not have that they will not be chuffed about that where they like really <laughs> rounded off where would know, that consonant go mate i i don't know mate it's just a, <laughs> just just that's a, a ba- good
2: that, that's a really good spinal tap it's just a barrage that's of vowels bones, isn't
3: it it's just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everything down south just feels like so languid and so. Uh, <laughs>
1: <like> Jesus,
3: <laughs> Jesus.
2: <laughs> is this is this xenophobic? I might, I think this might be xenophobic.
1: I think uh, they say worse uh, about
2: us on a regular
1: basis. Uh, we, we get the other they, oh, they're they now, is that <laughs> other them, just other the English. Mate you're, you're from <laughs> that, you're from the Highlands. They fucking, they are trying to clear that. They try to fucking rid you guys. <laughs>
2: yeah, I survived though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did survive <laughs> Fucking Highlander I know about shots. for generations I was a uh, um, Biologically I'm a McDonald So doesn't get more It doesn't get, it doesn't get more Scottish and than proportionally, that Proportionally you're Like McDonald's <laughs> Hey, I'm a changed man You can suck a fuck
3: has <laughs> lost a stone And what? <laughs> I'm sorry man I'm body shaming I'm other than the English I know, Jesus racist, Christ. Just all the worst behaviours of the alt-right. <laughs> Classic him, yeah. Chris Cusack. <laughs> Going home to get fired into some Jordan Pearson. <laughs> Everybody loves him, man.
2: I don't understand. Like, he's a the man's a, not a, a, an absolute moron. He's
3: a bit He's not a moron. He's <laughs> <an> incredibly
2: smart. <laughs> no, but he's fucking wrong on
0: so many levels. <laughs> he's
3: actually, you know, he's really, really he's good right. at psychology. His psychology stuff's amazing. He's just a bit uh, a, a a He's a headbanger. Yeah. He's
0: also... He's, he's also
3: very religious and yeah, very yet religious. talks about objective truth. This conversation is going in a different direction. <laughs> but, you know. So this week we are <laughs> talking about. it <laughs> Anyway, it right? Jordan Pearson notwithstanding, my racial slurs against most English accents and what was the other thing I did? Oh, yeah fat shaming Dave. Let's I'm talk trying my Twilight best. Sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, Twilight Sad. first record
1: 14 that's 14 fast. autumns and 15 winters fell asleep midway through the fucking album title you
2: just we've got we we've, don't have a fan here we've got a dissenter we've got a
3: dissenter <laughs> uh, I'm going to put my cards on the table I really like this album I think this is a tremendous album yep mm-hmm. um, and on the way to the studio you met one of them was late because I bumped into
2: Craig yeah.
3: the bassist on this record and the second record mm-hmm. lovely lovely man who does a fine line in hats
2: I uh he does my office is next door to the rock action office in which James, the singer from the Twilight Sad, works. So I quite often bump into them him in the kitchen. So are we tea? saying
3: that the two people here that are positive in the Twilight Sad have vested interests in maintaining <laughs> existing relationships? <laughs> <laughs> but and the one who's dissenting is the only one with no vested interest.
2: I mean that might be be the case so (laughs) we might see it that way
3: cynics I I don't think that is deliberate (laughs)
2: because if I didn't like this record then I'd probably just not talk about it I would be polite
3: about it if if I didn't like this record I would have strategically not mentioned it because they command a very quasi-religious following yeah who will
1: tear strips off us yeah uh, if we go at their boys Mm -hmm. you can send hate mail to hi at the (laughs) (laughs) creatorpodcast.com yeah please please Distinguish your letter bombs.
2: <laughs> yeah, so you suggested this, though. I think Chris. Yeah, you did. Did I? Yeah, I think so. I,
3: again, well, we, but I, we again, I think it's another sort of pseudo hive and... mind one from you and I because yeah. we're both on the same page about the band, and mm. it was let's you know give props to the the standout Scottish records, and mm-hmm. I mean I don't think there's much getting away from the fact that this is a standout Scottish record.
2: I mean, it is quite a tough listen, but I think that's kind of deliberate because they're not dealing with happy subjects here. You know, I think it's fair to say this is a miserable record. They are, you know, when they came out, they were touted as miserablest Scottish indie folkers. Yeah, which is um, interesting,
3: though, because the, there were a couple of articles about the band that kind of made the observation that people tend to associate Twilight Sad with, you know, quite negative subjects. And they are, you know, some of the stuff is very sombre and so it's, it's quite ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, But, for, for example, James Graham, the lyricist, the singer, James has, by all accounts, had... A relatively nice family life His parents mm-hmm. are apparently regular attendees At his shows It's not like he's um, Jonathan Davis Yeah <laughs> But um, Yeah some people just like Writing melancholy music I mean it doesn't really yeah, seem like Radiohead didn't it? really seem like They came from particularly austere Or abusive backgrounds But they certainly haven't gone out their way To play ska mm-hmm. So um, I don't know but I think if you have
2: a healthy cynicism About the world Then it would be quite difficult To write a Fucking
3: yeah, you know. I mean, let's let's like let's kind of look at some of the things that's about a bit later on. I think just to kind of bring people up to speed. So, I, d- I don't actually know the the extent of the penetration of the Twilight Sad elsewhere. I mean, I know they've done some really big tours. Even yeah. in their first year, they were touring with bands like Mogwai and Freight and Rabbit. They've done a number of tours in North America. Um, I know they did the Cure tour. Yeah, so I mean, recently, they, yeah. they played Wembley like three nights. They played Madison Square Garden. Yeah, Robert Smith
2: is like a Personal fan, yeah, yeah, and he's he's invited them down this summer to his like personally curated ranch cure uh, shows <laughs> in Hyde Park, I think, or in in London. Yeah, so
3: so I mean, I, I'd imagine if, if nothing else, I mean, certainly they're kind of indie darlings in the states. They they've got mm. you know ban- like like magazines like Pitchfork and Stereogum and stuff like right behind them, and they've done things like South by Southwest multiple times, five yeah. six times, something like that. Yeah, and I'd imagine you know the the additional. Uh, impact of doing things with The Cure has exposed them to a reasonably large audience. They've done some Saturday night shows and stuff as well. Yeah. But I am not sure how that's translated. Certainly in Scotland, they're one of the biggest acts here in in the indie scene and are associated with almost all the big acts in the indie scene here, be it Mogwai or Churches or even sort of of semi-obscure kind of the heavier bands with the current bassist Johnny Doc is from Take a Worm for a Walk Week who were one of our kind of most prominent extreme hardcore bands and yeah i mean they, they they're they're a very well connected band which has lent them an air of credibility that i think other bands sometimes probably envy speaking as someone from another band <laughs> 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 um, that credibility can be hard to marry with success you know some bands do well um some of the bands that they are friends with have done well but i would suggest lack a bit of credibility and seem a lot more contrived whereas twilight sad don't have that issue so I'm not sure quite how that, that comes across abroad, so I just want to kind of give well, people... was it's
2: interesting that they were, I think, like, basically <coughs> over three years, three bands basically went through the same route, Twilight Sad and then Friant Rabbit, and then We Were Promise, we were promise jet- jet packs. Yeah, yeah. Packs, all signed to Fat Cat, released a record, got uh, Airplay on KEXP in the States, did tours, got Pitchfork reviews, and, like, the three of them all did that basically a year after each other. And I remember going to... I think they all did headline shows at the Arches as well, like basically mm-hmm. a year after each other. And it just seemed like a thing. It was like, oh, we're going to have like an annual Glasgow Indie Band get big or, you know, Scottish and Indie Band. To be get fair, big.
3: those three bands are. Those three bands you could be forgiven for seeing a lot of similarities in their style. Uh, yeah, I, think, I mean, I think, I think they
2: all come from similar places. Yeah,
3: and, and they also. All heavy have, use of the Scottish accent, a bit of the kind of. The way. Twilight Sad are the most extreme, but the way they approach the guitar, mm-hmm. the space in the music, the kind of like soaring element of some of their songs, but keeping it relatively yeah. dirty. It's not too polished. But it's
2: interesting that all three are still going and they've all gone down quite different paths mm. and they're still, you know, all of them are still making records. Yeah. I mean, I'd, touring, successfully. I don't quite know
3: how their audience figures translate in the States because I was quite surprised to hear how big We Were Promised Jetpacks were in the States. Certainly bigger than they are over here. Yep. Um, and I was surprised to hear about the prominence of bands like Frightened Rabbit when you compare them in the States with bands like Biffy Clyro, who over here are playing like Wembley Arena. Yeah. And then in the States, we're playing far, far smaller venues. Uh, we're not the big potatoes that they are mm-hmm. in this country. And I've got a lot to say about Biffy Clyro, and one day I will say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's nice that, that some bands can really prosper in a different market. And it's it's really fascinating when you see a band in a certain way and then you find out that in this other country they're they're seen in a completely different way. Yeah. That's pretty fascinating to, to, to be like, I wonder what it was that translated or conversely didn't translate mm-hmm. about them. But these guys, as I say, for people that are listening out with Scotland we're maybe taking that for granted, I just want to say that they are considered big players in this scene and they're considered very credible in this scene. They're in the front cover of a lot of the arts papers. They're fairly well revered, whilst not being huge runaway mainstream successes. It's not the kind of music my mum would know about. Just want to kind of Make you aware of the context In which we're discussing them Because it may differ From the context In which you're discussing them If you don't know them This is certainly where I think David and I Would suggest you access them Do you agree with that David?
2: Yeah I mean their last record though <coughs> um, Has been called Their best work Or it's the culmination Of Everhin By a lot of sources But we clearly Don't agree with that uh, No I would I would definitely say This first record is It's got that Absolute rawness To it It <coughs> sort of defines them As a band I think
3: James Graham and Andy McFarlane are the two remaining central members. I think that they're currently what's Mm -hmm. considered Twilight Sad. the two guys, Andy on guitar, and does a lot of production duties. James on vocals, uh, in a lot of ways, the face of the band, the voice, the the tone of the lyricism and things. Uh,
2: Uh, Johnny uh, Doherty's been on bass for them a lot. Yeah, he's been on bass for a long time. And Um, I think he may well officially be in the band now.
3: Um, Not according to Wikipedia, but... According to pretty much every Scotsman yeah. and woman
2: uh, And Mark Devine, their drummer, fr- since the beginning he Mark left. left in January Yeah, yeah he left only a few months ago so. Yeah,
3: so Mark Mark was the original drummer And had a very, very recognisable drum approach On all but the third album, which I think we'll get to But it suits their music where you kind of rest on the end of the bars with the snare yeah. Just kind of Doom, ba-da-da-boom Doom, ba-da-da-boom They leave that final gap, and it kind of gives that big anthemic feel to their music, rather than you
2: know, yeah. And also maybe like a I don't know unfinished, like an expectation. You're just expecting more. Yeah,
3: yeah. So that, that's become quite synonymous with with their sound in the same way as Andy's mm-hmm. uh, kind of very very shoegazy, noisy, squally guitars, which he plays with a whammy as well yeah. as he's doing it. So you get quite a lot of like drift in the notes. It, it can sound almost out of tune at points, and it gives it a much. Bigger, with combined with the delay, there's a hell of a lot more happening in the in the, the guitar sound, which makes it sound pretty huge. So they've got these like quite distinctive approaches to this. And the fourth member on this album, an original member, was Craig Orzel, the guy with the Fantastic Cats, um, and Craig left after the second record. And was replaced by Johnny Dockery, mm-hmm. who also came from Take One for a Walk Week and a number of other very excellent bands. And as a, by all accounts, an extremely nice guy as well. Albeit, yep. I think I once had his testicles on my shoulder when I, <laughs> when I was driving his band on tour. I yep. couldn't tell, I couldn't recognise the, the testicles, the weight. <clears throat> I don't know if ball sacks have like a distinctive fingerprint, but, but there were testes there and he was laughing.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, the guitars remind me of Las Vegas. Is that a thing?
3: Oh, he said the G word.
1: Glass Las Vegas, Vegas.
3: Las Vegas. Forgot they existed. Yeah. So did they. <laughs>
1: They did yeah. Yeah.
3: Las Vegas are very much the Scottish band that sort of saw this and thought they'd make a, a more polished yeah. version of it I mean Frightened of... Rabbit are pretty polished Las Vegas were a step more polished it, it, it felt and
1: had some commercial success they but... were a band before them though 2003 Las Vegas started really weird yeah and why, why did we not know about them till 2008 after this <laughs> after
3: this record was released really I wonder uh, yeah, I can't say i got a lot of time for them but, um,
1: Not a huge fan either yeah. But the guitar sound definitely comes from somewhere The two bands share it in common
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, I think they, they saw a good thing Saw a good idea
1: Hi Weaver's currently wearing shorts Because he can't afford trousers I can't so afford full length so He can't afford full length trousers, And it's really cold today So... If you could donate some money so we can buy him a pair of trousers, that'd be awesome. We're all sober today as well, and we could really use some extra juice. So anything you can give us would be appreciated. I mean, a new life actually goes towards getting good equipment and not having to scrape together stuff. So go to www.onsumpod.net and donate whatever you can and whatever frequency that you want. Cheers.
3: Some bands just seem to kind of hit the ground running. And Twilight Sad, they were signed on their third show in Glasgow. And the first two shows were, by all accounts, largely experimental affairs, using thermons and tape loops and things like that. And they were both played at 13th Note, which is a fantastic little venue in the city, in the East End, um, that's kind of known for quite niche music of, of all types. But yeah, they decided to write something a bit more structured. They wrote that summer at home. I became the Invisible Boy. Mm-hmm. Sent the demo to Fat Cat and the head honcho came up to see them and signed them on the spot. Yeah, Alex. And by their fourth show, they were playing CMJ in New York. Just one of those sort
2: of whirlwind well, things that just happened. They don't had the buzz, get okay, don't they? <coughs> but I mean, it was That's very a much jackpot. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, they were lucky, but also they were really good. They had a sound that was very unique and. Sort of captured something, then the yeah, people I mean were that, waiting for. Because you know, that to, a great me, song. Yeah. to me, to me, this came out when I was at university. You know, Midnight Organ Fight came out the year after. I find it weird to think of a an indie landscape without these records, without these bands, and Twilight Sad were. You know, this record was the one that was the forefront of it and allowed so much to happen. Yeah.
3: Um, <coughs> but they, they certainly uh, had that. They had a lot of momentum, very very fast, and that yeah. invariably creates buzz. Um, the first they had a self-titled EP that was actually only released in the States wasn't released here and then they were doing shows with Mika P Hinson when they were when they were over there as well uh, even some of their early tours were like Beirut, Battles Snow Patrol Smashing Pumpkins I believe at some mm-hmm. point Idlewild as well obviously so yeah it's, it's, a, it's a it's a nice leg up to get started but they had to follow that up with something to justify the fuss and it was this album and I have to say that cynicism aside because it's easy to be cynical about any band that gets that kind of start yeah, um, but I was impressed with this from the first listen um, yeah. it was a track and she would darken the memory that yeah. was the first one I heard uh-huh. and it kind of we've got a phrase here put my gas at a peep See, <laughs> <laughs> it seems appropriate to use that when you're talking about a band I don't that, think I've s- heard that before. so but. reliant on colloquialisms and the Scottish patter yeah uh, yeah. I think uh, that kind of silenced a lot of the critics not Mark clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, it did sound like, oh, who's this? They, they came out of nowhere, aye, aye very nice, Silver Spoon and all that. I mean, I think the fact that they, they did follow up with something really quite worthy was... Yeah. Well, I mean, well, they, I mean they, just they they the way the album... had to, otherwise... The way the
2: record starts, like, you know, the first three tracks are just so strong for me. Look, Cold Days from the Birdhouse. Originally meant to be a B-side, apparently. Mm. Yeah. But to this day, they still, you know, finish their live sets on it. It's a really, really powerful track... And, also and has, it could finish this album But they start with
3: it They're just like yeah, They fuck don't it. fuck around Because before the before the song even kicks in They have James going Another phone call Aye. <laughs> And it's like Alright, okay So they're
1: Scottish I mean, yeah You definitely
3: have to get used <laughs> to that accent um,
2: Some
1: affectation
2: I don't think it, That's just his voice <laughs> You know, why would he put on A fucking American accent or whatever Just like Use his own
3: voice Yeah, he's, he's a big fan of uh, Arab Strap as well. And yeah. uh, for those that know Arab Strap, um, they'll be familiar with Aidan Moffat's very strong Scottish accent. And he's, uh, uh, James says that he took a lot of encouragement from Aidan's willingness to just embrace. Yeah. His, and I think that
2: maybe, like us being Scottish, you hear it and you go, oh, maybe, you know, that, that's kind of, I can't believe he's flaunting it. Or it's like, is he putting it on or whatever?
1: And so you make it your own. But this is where your arm can go. You make a euro I don't know if, like if you saw hear... the Libertines
3: Liberty's
2: Frontner. Yeah, exactly. Flunting, There's so London many accents. like English bands that've got this like fucking London accent or so many American bands that like just have this American accent. So what's wrong with a Scottish band having a Scottish accent? I think it's absolutely fine. <laughs> I think it's great. Um,
3: I, th- I, I can see I can see both sides. I am a big fan of this album. Um I think if it'd been a lesser album then I would probably have had beef with a vocal. Mm. But I think given the strength of the music, you get away with it. I think you have to earn that.
2: Uh, and his delivery as well is, you know, it's really powerful. Like it's, it is yeah. that
3: sort of... Uh, I'm a particularly big fan of it when James goes up a, an octave mm-hmm. and actually gets to like fully project his voice. I mean, yeah. the kind of baritone... I, I say dreary, I don't mean dreary in a pejorative way, but the kind of like that quite sombre yeah. delivery that he does is fine. It's nice and it's sometimes very sweet. But uh, when he shouts, not shouts. But when he really projects and they, there's a bit of gain mm. on the vocal, it's that's that, powerful. That's right? when it's the strongest, and mm. that's the same on their second album as well. That that the standout track in that second album, "I Became a Prostitute,"
2: mm-hmm.
3: is at its best when he goes up that range, and it really like kicks in, and you get that little tug yeah. um, at the heartstrings, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i sure with the accent itself I just find it's a bit much As a Scottish person Yeah You know Like I think that It's not as bad as Other bands that do it That's what I'm trying to say Do
3: you think other bands do it worse?
1: No I think that he's I think it's an affectation I feel like it is Because there's other bands Who use the Scottish accent In, in a much less I don't know Irritating way like A lot of the early Biffy Clad stuff I know you're not a fan But his accent is not as bad As, as James Graham's is And it, it's still very Scottish
3: I mean I would I would say that's fair Yeah it goes
1: to early Biffy Records Mostly I wouldn't go to Bath. them I enjoy listening to them I don't listen to them regularly But mm-hmm. You know Whereas on the other hand You can see there's some bands That have taken like Twin Atlantic Who used to were a bit Scottish And then When Spiffy Clara became a big thing Became more Scottish
3: Yeah I mean There's no, like, there's no doubt That from this point Onwards The Scottish affectation And vocals became Ubiquitous Even just seeing the bands That translated Elsewhere It became Very very heavy handed I felt Twilight Sad had been pretty open about it from the start and it was used in a much noisier kind of music and a much less precise kind of music. I think in the more polished stuff like Las Vegas and some of the Frightened Rabbit stuff, it doesn't work for me at all. I really find it quite great and and quite contrived, but I don't mind it in the context of this because this is everybody pushing their style into a corner, but in a good way, so the drummer has a style of drumming. Mm -hmm. Andy has a style of guitar. James has a style of vocals and yeah. the bass was just a really solid element in their music throughout it wasn't overly stylized, but the other three had really delineated this is this is my preferred approach and I didn't mind that so much I do I do think that yeah other people probably started to cash in on that once they saw the appeal in mm-hmm. it. and once they realised that it was getting fetishised by you know Brooklyn Vegan and mm-hmm. things like that because it really was I mean yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the States it's just a condescending approach to like oh listen to that Scottish accent that's so cool it's like Jesus man, people shout that I mean, the street when they want change. It's it, it, it did, yeah. did wear pretty thin but not so much with these guys for me. I think they were, yeah. I, I did feel there was something pretty sort of.
1: Just a point of content, a point of that I want to make as well is see when he does go up that octave there's less room to do an affectation as a singer yeah, and his true. voice does sound better for
3: it. I, I just, I, I think his voice is really strong when he goes up that octave. Mm. Um, I think uh, he's developed as a singer as well over their albums. He's, he's a much stronger singer now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less rough there's some live videos kicking about. There's one in on KXP that I think they shot in Iceland that I don't think showcases his vocals very well. It maybe doesn't showcase the monitor and at the gig very well, had to be fair. Yeah, but um, he has definitely improved as a singer. And they've done a lot of stuff that's quite sparse and stripped back. They did a number of sessions. Did an Ora Moore session that was quite famous. And they yeah. did some stuff for the BBC.
2: Well, I was at their show with the RSNO in uh, Paisley Town Hall. No, Paisley Abbey where they did, you know, yeah, that was, was lush, the three though. of them and then a full orchestra. Yeah, but, but a lot of it, there was, like, very little orchestration in a fucking huge church, but and then it would build up. But his, like, his voice held as strong as any of the instruments there. It
3: was like they weren't outshone. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely learned better vocal control. I think um, the first BBC session they did, which was just, like, glockenspiel and accordion, mm-hmm. was raw, but nice, and it worked. But if you don't like his Scottish accent, don't listen to that. Because
1: i will kill you Because <laughs> it's
3: it's right out in the open
1: Because I'm putting up With your constant wine. But that won't last too long They did
3: a lot of support here By the Skinny magazine The Skinny was really um, On message with Twilight's ad From an early point and So they got pretty good exposure And some pretty Decent, you know. I think they are they the band that's been on the cover the most, I think to date. Yeah, they probably are, yeah. And they've had kind of some quite good interviews, and they were the Skinny's album of the year in two thousand and seven, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Same year that I said that Blond Redhead should be album of the year. By the way, twenty three.
2: Well, I believe the internet have uh, disagreed with you on that because it's up against In Rainbows, but um... yeah, we'll see.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, another big supporter of the band in two thousand and seven was Teletext. <laughs> teletext, really? Planet Sound by, on Teletext. Remember Planet Sound? Yeah. So the uh, Teletext happened out with the UK. It must have, right? We can't. Um, we can't have No, led the it way. was a very, it I was a it was very, very British
2: thing. thing yeah. Coloured button-driven like, so interaction. What was it? I, it <laughs> was the early internet. What was it actually called? Like the name? Oracle. CFAX.
1: so well, c was the 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 BBC one. c was the was... brand.
2: Teletext was like the the non-brand. Mm-hmm. But like, what? Well, yeah, maybe
1: Teletext was the overall. All name right. As so well. so
3: basically. Again, for millennials and people out like with the UK... I'm
1: a millennial. I, I, I remember Teletext. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, I used to read for, Planet Sound, on, For yeah. real
3: millennials. Um, for people out like with the UK, basically hit, like sort of hidden behind your TV channels and your domestic TV channels. We only had four and then five for a while. Yeah. Behind the TV channels, on your remote control, there was like a red, green, blue and yellow button. And you could press, I think it was the text button or the blue button. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. it would bring up this kind of like signal of like, Black. It was basically like a very simple web page. Yeah, a bit. black
2: background with white text, some yeah. colour.
3: Written yeah. in the big, biggest pixels you've ever seen. Like, and <laughs> pages
2: 100 to 199 were news, 200 yeah. to 299 were finance, Three hundred. Right? Uh, 300s were uh, um sport, 302 was the football index, the 312 ones. was the Scottish football scores. Uh, page three two four to three two seven was the league tables. Man,
1: <laughs> I can this remember this. This is exactly. incredible,
3: man. Should... Uh,
2: and then, <laughs> uh, what was four hundred? I think four hundred was weather. Five hundred and one was bamboozle, wasn't it not? No, bamboozle was in Channel Four. That was one. That was on p- Channel Four rather than CFAX. That right, was right. One five
3: two. So again, yeah, all the different channels had like their own mm. versions. So yeah, Channel, was channel Four was the fun channel. It was the arty channel in the UK, so yeah. it had the fun things in it. So. In its version, which was Oracle or CFAX in that channel?
2: Oracle? Uh, I think Oracle, it was older. It was yeah, like so basically version, they had a thing yeah. called
3: Bamboozle, which was like a quiz. And these are all like super basic, super basic kind of approach. Yeah, the internet really. Yeah, like the, they're like the the TV equivalent of those adventure books where it's like turn to page eighty if you want to bite the orc. Well, arc. the
2: thing on yeah uh, <laughs> teletext holidays, which is still a thing now even though teletext doesn't exist, was you'd get really good deals on holidays. Yeah, that's true.
3: But but it was a big part of our childhood. Like mm-hmm. it, it really was this odd. Well, you hidden, can tell it's definitely a big part of mine. Yeah, yeah still absolutely. Remember the page numbers. Memorise the numbers. You should do a book in that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is a it's really obscure. I mean, we should try and throw up some screenshots on the page just to show people like what CFAX and teletext was because it was yeah. so bizarre (laughs) are but yeah so Teletext loved them album of the year on Planet Sound in 2007 and I'm actually surprised that Twilight Sad overlap with Planet Sound yeah that's. I wonder who wrote Planet Sound have they actually got some people that were like totally into it because that's a pretty hip choice I mean they could have gone with pretty much anything but they went with Twilight Sad could on them yeah man you'd get I mean that would be my line of merch if I was in the band Teletext, teletext, teletext album of the year teletext teletext of the year 2007 in big pixels on oh, a black t-shirt <laughs> with uh, Bob from Bamboozle on it yeah, and, a wee, and a number up the top yeah yeah fantastic um, yeah and I think this was also like Skinny's number two album of the decade mm-hmm. at one point when um, they did and that I know it was a
2: it was voted up there in like best Scottish records ever and yeah, stuff of that as well. Right. so Mark it's just it's uh, becoming more and more of an outlier
1: at this point I'm a punk man so this is not my kind of music
2: um, I know but I'm, I'm a metalhead I don't just, know I, when I, was, I was back at uni doing student radio When this came out And like a lot of my pals doing the radio Were indie kids And I was you know this metalhead But listening to Aphex Twin as well So like to me I just I w- wasn't really interested in it You know people were talking about it I was like oh it's just indie shit And then I listened to it Like maybe a couple of years after the record Had actually come out And then I saw them live And I was like fucking hell This band are powerful james down in the audience like just f- absolutely fucking screaming uh to you know cold days in the birdhouse like you can tell that he's singing about something in there and uh there's yeah, also they're, a, they're as heavy a band live or as loud a band live as as
3: any really was it talking with fireworks uh here it never snowed that's like the, the one they call loud quiet live and that that yeah. was one where it it's quite quiet with that kind of marching drum beat. Yeah. But then James would be playing a second cymbal and the, the, the chorus was just yeah. cacophonous. The drum beat as well in that is yeah. amazing. A knife, in your, chest.
0: The knife in your chest
3: Yeah, yeah so like the marching. marching. There was a lot of like performance to, that, that made them quite an appealing prospect. The, the, the show I saw them doing it, Tut's which I think was their first Touch show, was exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'd seen them prior to that and I wasn't blown away with them live at all. I thought they were pretty rough. The songs were nice. I already liked the album, but I, they weren't doing it live. But then that time it touched, they just, everything kind of yeah clicked and they were they were excellent. Really, really excellent. That was one of the best shows I'd seen in quite a while. I mean, around the, the, the album itself, it, it, it was quite iconic. The artwork was by, it was a guy called David Thomas. Mm-hmm. Dave Thomas. DTR or something, is that what he calls himself? DLT, DLT sorry, like David Travis. Yeah, David Lee Travis. He'd uh, done a series of pictures for it, which were on the singles as well, uh, yeah. all themed around this little boy with this kind of little mask on. Yeah. And when they did the they did the anniversary show, was it an anniversary show? 2013, they did shows at Tuts about the full album, and they'd handed out, like, handmade fabric versions yeah. of the masks to the members of the audience. But the artwork was really quite iconic as well, and really, really good artwork. Yeah, I, it's really... I loved it. Yeah, I, uh, it was... Nice and obscure and slightly unnerving, but not trying too hard. Yeah. There's a vague poignancy to it that seems to really complement their overall feel. Yeah, so, I mean, there was, a, there was a lot of buzz around this at the time. There was a lot of, like, strong branding of it, albeit in a very alternative way. It had a really good look. Yeah. It had a really good feel. It was just slotting it in this weird zone between really alternative bands, you know, playing with some quite underground, quite obscure stuff, stuff under the collective called Winning Sperm Party were big fans of Twilight Sad... Yeah, it could also be in a bill with Mogwai, yeah, it could also be in a bill with some much more kind of commercial or mm-hmm. ostensibly commercial bands. So they, they hit like a real sweet spot between credibility and accessibility Yeah, that they seem to capitalise upon. Um, before we get into the kind of minutiae of the songs, I don't think they necessarily followed up brilliantly. I think Forget the Night Ahead is a good album.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: There's there's a couple of good songs in it later on that are good and there's an exceptionally good song in uh, I Became a Prostitute. is one of the i really the like the
2: room as well that's a great track
3: but i think even the reviews had sort of said they were in a little bit well, of a holding pattern
2: yeah it's darker as well though a little bit i think i don't, i really like that record but for me i think like they're following three records after this you can pick some amazing tracks from and like you know their live set for me is now is like fucking absolutely rampacked of belters but um is, is is this, it, uh,
3: nobody wants to be here. Nobody wants to
2: leave. Is yeah, that the name the, of the third the album? Last, n- and the third that's album? the fourth album. That's the fourth album. Yeah, right. Uh, no one can ever know. Is the third record? No one can ever know.
3: Right. Sorry. Um, no one can ever know. Is the one where they made a, a deliberate decision to kind of change direction, mm-hmm. so to speak, and they went in a much more kind of industrial, crowdy field. Mm-hmm. he just be a guy, Andrew, Andrew Weatherall, as well. He'd done stuff like Fuck Buttons and things like that and it kind of had a, di- a really different feel to it. It was a lot more motoric. You know, like a couple of tunes in particular, a song called Dead City mm-hmm. has that really kind of typically motoric beat behind it. The aesthetic's quite different. Less of the shoegaze, kind of squalls going on. A bit colder. It didn't really, it didn't pull me in. I think there's some nice melodies on it. I think, that, um, I think there's a track called Nil that could have been a really big song played in their old style. They obviously decided to do it differently. Um, but I'm not sure. It, it didn't really work for me as well. The drum sequencer know. stuff I found quite I remember. I,
2: I remember it didn't get particularly, uh, you know, it wasn't particularly well received compared to the first couple of records. But for me now, it holds together pretty well.
3: I mean, I've seen some really good reviews of it in the sense that people were praising them for opening up the palette because mm-hmm. it meant that otherwise they were going to just be repeating themselves. Yeah, um, And I think they certainly managed that. And it probably led to stuff like The Cure. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, it might have been a little bit too noisy and dissonant and narrow. Because there's a lot more synths in this album, yeah. And certainly working with Martin and then going to work with Brendan and stuff, and and involving them in the band gave them a bit more room to maneuver in terms of like pop stuff. I'm just not. I'm just not sure that that musically it was anywhere near as successful in terms of the writing. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's bad by any means, but. It doesn't. It doesn't pull me in. I do much prefer the new album. Although I think the new album is a lot cleaner. Tomorrow, yeah, um, one of the things I love about this is Andy produced it. It was recorded at Chem Nineteen, which is a fairly well-known studio in Scotland, and I think Andy's production has a naivety and an unfussiness and a sense of
2: identity. Yeah, it's quite identity. dirty.
3: It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's nice. You're really hearing the composer realising what, yeah. what you wanted to say as opposed to filtering it. Yeah. um, And I, I think the warmth of that, and the directness of that, to me, draws me in a lot more. Song-wise, mm. I mean, you described Cold Days from the Birdhouse. It's a big opening, absolutely. Yeah. um, And then
2: track two, that summer...
3: That yep. summer at home, I became the Invisible Boy Was the one that, I think, is that not the one that got them signed in the first place? Yeah, I think you have. Yeah, made and uh, Or at least a demo of it did You know, in the, the imagery and the kids are on fire in the bedroom kind of hook line Yeah, yeah. So that was a, I think
2: that's, you pretty, can see why that stands out from in him that's sort of gone before it Yeah The kids are
1: on fire in the bedroom
3: I mean, I have to say, like, I think if Twilight Sad ever did like an incesticide, you'd have to call it The Kids Are On Fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a big yeah. like, title just waiting to happen, isn't it? And Walking for Two
2: Hours is then another like really powerful track. Yeah, like, it's
3: got that kind of like uneasy, seasick slide guitar line in it. Yeah. Doesn't it? It's yeah, really- yeah. Did any of the tracks early on kill
1: you and Mark? Well, I was just reading my notes there, actually, when you were talking to me. Um, I did like Cold Days, but I did find it quite difficult to find something to say at all about walking for two hours. Um I like, I like a lot of the understated nature of what they do. I like the the massive like wall of sound guitars, and when they do get going, they do sound a bit like, in, like a total orchestra, so as a wall of like yeah. noise. It gets up there in Mogwai, you know, in that sense. But I've always found it really difficult to engage with shoegaze in any kind of way. And this is just kind of...
2: Uh, Aye. I mean, yeah, there's a huge that.
3: shoegaze influence mm. on the sound
2: here. So, yeah, I I see, if you're not shoegazy, then I can see how you would miss that. Like is, uh, um, uh,
3: last Year's Rain, the fourth track, is, I think, harking so, back, a bit like the last track as well, 14 albums, the, the the title of the album. Those ones... Harking back to that kind of origin is like a bit of an experimental thing. Yeah, it's and definitely it,
2: more ambient.
1: It's like half a song almost I thought. Yeah, I yeah.
3: Mean, it's it's a it is it actually, you're right. It
1: kind of It feels s-
2: like a not a filler, but it's like a gateway between Yeah, I mean it's a piece of the record, or, it's, but I really like it. Like I love that sort of nursery rhyme refrain that he's got.
3: Yeah, and the, uh, the sleigh bell type yeah, vibe that yeah. goes through it. Yeah, because I
2: think it works, because then, man, if they just had nine songs that were all, you know, indie anthems, you'd probably be fucking knackered by the end of it. Yeah. But this is maybe like you mentioned last week, you know, about an game. album that lets you turn off a, a track that lets you turn off for a little bit and collect your thoughts yeah it's
3: like a concession to, yeah. the, to the attention span of the audience I think you're like okay they'll need this at this point because then
2: talking yeah. with fireworks then is just fucking massive yeah that's <laughs> the
3: one the loud quiet one that, yeah. did, that is just like all about the dynamic track six uh, mapped by what surrounded them I think is one of their best
1: I was mm-hmm. going to say that stood out for concession, me yeah I love
3: it
2: and I think that's one that you can definitely tell maybe not shoegaze but other 80s influences there's like some sort of, you know, even like gothy bands mm-hmm. and like the chord progressions and stuff. And you can maybe see that a Cure influence and also why the Cure would, you know, yeah. enjoy this. I
3: think there's there's a few interesting things about this track. So the, the, the title is taken from The Virgin Suicides, the, the book by Jeffrey Eugenides. And yeah. Obviously there's a film as well. Um, and the allusions in it to like a child dancing, a child being taken to a young... Mm-hmm. um watching Emily play things like that it was it's all it was quite dark, but quite obscure, quite melancholy. What I thought was really interesting is a few years ago there was a rumor kicking about that this was actually to do with the fact that james or james's family mm-hmm. knew uh, a victim of the Dumblain massacre, right. Um, so I was like quite fancy, fascinated by this because it is one of those little bits of lore that you're like, is yeah. there anything to that? You know, I've never asked them directly, but it, it was a few people who had mentioned this. No, really? like, have you heard that? That this is what this is about? The Don't Blame Massacre obviously happened in 96. Was it 96? Was it 92?
2: No, it was a. I remember I was in primary six. So I think it was, would have been 95, 96.
3: 95, 95, 96. Yeah, so I think it might have been 96. A, jet, a, a guy called Thomas Hamilton went mm-hmm. into primary school in a town that's about eight miles away from Stirling, uh, where I was brought up, and murdered 16 children and a teacher. Yeah. called Gwen Mayer, I think her name was. And that was a huge, huge thing. Um, Actually, weirdly, I grew up about a few hundred yards from where Thomas Hamilton lived, Um, and he'd been at the shop getting milk when we were around the Sunday before the shooting, which happened on a Tuesday, I think. Yeah. It was really odd, really odd to see that. The guy's... Yeah, the guy's uh, whole story was pretty dark. He was, yeah. saw himself as a bit of a Frankenstein, you know, thrown out by his community. And but anyway, um, interesting story if you care to look into it. Pretty dark, but I thought I wonder what's to that, and I had a look, and there was a there was a girl killed in Dublin called Emily Morton, and obviously throughout this song he talks about see Emily, Emily dance, see Emily dance. Yeah, and I was like, so I, I don't actually know if there was anything to that. Yeah. It could just be somebody's put. Two and two together and got five, or it could be that somebody in the band's confided someone and it's it's spread. So I don't know, you're um irresponsibly spreading fake news mm. probably on the internet. On the internet. So uh, well, the internet I'll just can add to the pile. Us if that's but there you go. I, yeah, did a, I was I, I looked up the list of victims and I was scrolling down. And I was like, nah, there'll not be someone called Emily. And there she is.
2: Yeah. You know?
3: So I have no idea if that's a, That what that's what it's about. But certainly on more than one occasion I've heard that, um, and it's a really dark song. And he says it's a very not dark it's a very melancholy song yeah very sad song Um, and it's a really beautiful and it's followed by I think what's probably their best song and, and she'll be dark in the memory
0: cause I'm putting the
3: the kind of easing in yeah with that drum beat filling in and the, the little melody coming together it doesn't just burst in it's very patient and it's another great example of james taking his voice up a, a range yeah you know going up top cracking it getting a bit of distortion on the vocal and it's and it's a really powerful bit of music that one Um, Nice big shoegazy sprawling ending to it as well Kind of keeping them away from that overly commercial side of things I think bands like Frightened Rabbit are too, like I said, too polished, too clean for me I like the fact that Twilight Sad do embark in these big cacophonous jams That just allow their songs to sort of burn out Yeah Rather than stop Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the best examples
1: Putting the boot in, mate, flags me out. <laughs> you
3: don't, you do. So, because the put, best bit of it is the worst bit. Because I'm putting for Mark. the boot in, yeah, and that is a a, a Scottish phrase for if you're just can of add an insult to injury? I mean, it's also Scottish. You're kicking someone when they're down, but you're you're putting the boot in. You're yeah, you're just uh, causing mm-hmm. unnecessary additional hurt to someone. Um, it seems accurate. <laughs> <laughs> to your sensibilities Certainly I'd imagine they'd probably Quite happily put the boot Into <laughs> you <laughs> Probably <laughs> But yeah The last proper song is I'm taking the train home Yeah um, Which is that really nice Refrain When your green eyes Turn to blue yeah. um, Your green eyes Turn to blue Your
1: green eyes Turn to blue And you're
2: all I mean, I just, I overall, I just think it's a really fucking great record.
3: Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's it's yeah. the best thing they've done for me. Um, I think they've had their moments since. It's yeah. not a slight one.
2: An excellent live band as well. Fucking brilliant. But like, I, I can always go back to this album if I feel like I want to wallow in being miserable a little bit, being Scottish a little bit. Yeah. It's a fucking great record. What to would do be that really
3: in. interesting to see is like, I suspect there'll be a pretty reasonable engagement with this within Scotland, within our listeners here. Yeah. It would be interesting to see how much. It inspires and in people further afield because we've got a few people in Australia and the States listening. and I'm curious to see how precious people are about the band over there because they're certainly quite precious about them here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that will be interesting. Um, I definitely think in Brooklyn there'll be a few. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. They seem to have had no no shortage of enthusiasts. You think I'm going to get killed for not liking this? <laughs> I don't seem like the kind of kind of murdering type band. They seem quite. By fans, not by them. <laughs> by their fans possibly probably not nearly as much as I'm going to get killed when we do Bjork but <laughs> <laughs> but um, they are a band that inspires quite a
1: pathological
3: <laughs> fandom quite, quite a loyal a loyal following here so yeah I mean and built on this album you might need mm. to change one or both names but I don't think it will be that big a deal
2: <laughs> but I think they should go in
3: I mean yeah I do yeah. think that uh, from a Scottish perspective there's no way you can't put this in yeah I don't think so it'll be interesting to see how that balances out on an international basis great great
2: alright what are we doing next week
3: I don't know it's your choice we're it. what are
2: we doing oh, we're we're Bjork, Bjork stop being coy. Vespertine Vespertine was that over it again oh, fuck off <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one what one Bjork
3: Vespertine <laughs> yay,
1: yay. <Go> and vote <laughs> on the Facebook page please and tell us why oh, this shouldn't go in.
3: can we get some re- reviews please yeah we need some reviews right, and not if you don't like us <laughs> can we get some good reviews please <laughs> can we just get good reviews please we'll put in out the comments cards on your table after your delicious meal of hilarious musical patter um, and we want to get our TripAdvisor rating right the fuck up there Thanks. yeah so uh, iTunes is shit out of it five stars that's five the one five stars yeah
1: It's a very good podcast, apparently, according to two people. So (laughs) thanks, them. Thanks, guys.